Today we want to talk about some things that must be, some things we must do, or anyone must do in regards to spiritual life. Over in Numbers 23 and 1, this is a meeting between Balaam and Balak. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balaam said, Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go, peradventure the Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me I will tell thee. And he went into a high place. And God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered unto every altar a bullock and a ram. That's what he told God. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. Balak was the leader of Moab that country which was a pagan and in opposition to Israel, and Balaam was the prophet. And he took up a parable. See, he, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites, put a curse on them, so that he could defeat them in battle. And so the Lord said, here's the word, and he returned, and he took up a parable in verse 7, and he said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram, out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. And lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Doesn't that sound like the church of God in the evening time, or the morning time, and all through? <coughs> The church of God was to be different from every other church. It was to be separate and apart, and it still is. And it practices all those things that Jesus taught and, and practiced and told us to do. And he says, Shall not the peoples shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations? Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let me let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. <coughs> or he, I took thee, or I told thee. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? Must I not take heed to speak which the Lord hath put in my mouth. I must do it, in other words. I can only speak, it wasn't popular for him to speak that way, because he was the leader of this country, and he had all of his princes around there, so Balaam was outnumbered. And it isn't wise to go against the, the leader when you're outnumbered. But he said, I must speak the thing which the Lord hath spoken put in my mouth. Down in 25 in the same chapter. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. If I can't get you to curse them, be neutral about it. 
If I can't get you to not believe in Christ any longer, at least don't say anything to, uh, to anybody about it. That would be a modern way of putting it to us. Don't tell anybody. Don't talk to anybody on the job. Don't, uh, don't uh, witness to any, any of your friends because they won't like you anymore or, or all sorts of things like that. Just be quiet. The devil is always trying to tell us to be quiet and trying to intimidate us to keep from saying the thing that we should say in regards to the Lord's salvation. He's always trying to put hindrances in our way when God leads us to somebody. No, if you're not going to curse them, don't bless them. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. That should be the testimony of every true child of God. That which the Lord speaketh, I must do. Some things we must do. Let's go over to 2 Samuel 23. I'm persuaded that there is so little fear of God. The fear of God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom and it tendeth to life. But there is so little fear of God. People go around every day sleeping, eating, and working, and whatever they do, and each day goes by and they live without the fear of God. Even people that hear the preaching of the gospel and should begin to be uh, awakened to the fact that God is to be feared, and they don't. They just keep on going and the fear of God does not seem to get a hold of them to the place where they will do something about it. You can sit in a house and have the, the, fire, the fire in the fireplace and you can enjoy the fire every day and day in and day out. But let that fire get out of the fireplace and into the room and you'll be afraid of it and get out of there. And that's the way it is with the fear of God. We can hear about the fear of God, but until it gets into every individual heart where they absolutely believe that should they die, they will go to a devil's hell. They're absolutely persuaded of it. They'll do something about it. But not, not until many people are that way. Samuel 23 and 1. Now these be the last words of David. David was about to die. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel speak to me, he that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. This would be a pretty good lesson for politicians in this country, wouldn't it? He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springeth out of the earth by clear shining after rain. They that rule over men must be just. They must have a keen sense of justice and they must prevail over it. It's strange that, that he would say that now because Solomon was following behind him. And he, Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave it to him and he ruled the people that way. And there was peace. 
Peace is not necessarily the absence of conflict either. Peace is that thing which God reserves for His own. Great peace have they that love the Lord, and nothing shall offend them. But he says, the wicked are like the troubled sea, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. And the world has turned it around and said, there is no rest for the wicked. Whenever people tell me that, I correct them. I said, no, it's not rest, it's peace. There is no peace. And then I get kind of funny about it. But David said, if we rule over anyone, if anyone rules over other men, they must be just. Ezra 10 and 1. This was a troubled time for the church in the Old Testament and God has always had someone to come along to lead them in troubled times to rise up and keep the remnant together. He said, Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. We have an old-fashioned revival meeting in the Old Testament church. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. God told them not to take wives of the heathen, neither give their daughters to the heathen's men. It was absolutely forbidden. We take it up in the New Testament say that no born-again believer should marry an unbeliever. It is absolutely forbidden because they are going in opposite directions spiritually and they have no fellowship and it will be a sin to do it. So he said, they had sinned. And what was their sin? They took wives of heathens. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Johannah, the son of Elihashub. And when he had come thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes of the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that have been carried away. So they made a decree and, and announced that they gave them time and space to do something about it. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. And it was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. 
If everyone <coughs> would have that attitude toward the Word and will of God concerning their individual lives, there would be a lot less trouble for individuals and for the congregations. If they have that deep abiding conviction that all that thou hast said or all that the Lord has said, so must we do. It was a matter of urgency. It was we must do it. Not we ought to do it or we may do it or it's a good idea. We must do it. They had to put away their wives. They had been married to these heathens. They were to put them away and those children that were born from them, they were, it was not an easy thing for them to do. And if God required of us that today, it would not be any easier for us than it would be for them. But they said they would do it. Now, over in Luke, we come to the New Testament and find our thought continued. In Luke 22 and 35, Jesus is speaking, and He said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said He unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script, and say, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. The scripture said that everything in the Old Testament that was told and prophesied of Jesus would have to come true before he expired on the cross. And it did. And he said it is finished on the cross. And everything was complete that they said would be about him. And he said and he was reckoned... Uh, no, and he, and he had, let me start again, 37. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So all that was told of Jesus came to pass. And we might be reminded that all that Jesus said while he was here is going to come to pass. It came to pass while he was there, and all that he said about the future is going to come to pass, and some of it has already, just as we said, because Jesus was part and parcel in telling John what was to take place down through the centuries. So, the things came to pass that must be accomplished in Jesus. Over in St. John in 3, We have the story of a man coming to Jesus, a very prominent man. He had, he had uh, become responsible and a ruler among the Jewish nation, a man that probably felt that he had a place with God, that he was part and parcel of God's plan. But somehow or other, he felt the void down in his soul. And so... There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He wasn't of the same spirit that those other people were. He was undoubtedly a Pharisee, but he did not have the same spirit of the other Pharisees. He was a separate thinking person, and that's the kind of people that get saved. Are people that think for themselves. That don't go around saying, I've got my church and I was brought up in it all my life and that's good enough for me. That kind of attitude will get them in hell someday. But this man had an independent mind and he says, he reasoned the whole thing out. He says, 
in his own mind, nobody else did ever any miracles like this. No man could do these miracles except God be with him. So he was a thinking person. And he came to Jesus with that thought. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, he was thinking of natural birth there. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus continued and answered, Verily, verily, truly, truly, would be another word, I say unto you, thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Every person must be born again. It is an absolute necessity to making one's peace with God to be born again. They must. It's not an optional thing if we're going to make heaven our home and be happy here. It is an absolute must. This man thought he was saved because he was a Jew and in high standing. But Jesus told him that he must be born again. He wasn't saved yet. And that's what we've got to consider when we talk with people. There might be very good and religious people that we know that wouldn't hardly harm anybody or do anything wrong as they think wrong is. But they must be born again. Just like the hard-hearted, wicked sinner who knows that he's not doing right, they must be born again. Uh, all kinds of people came to Jesus. People with bad sins on them. People with hardly any. The young man that came to Jesus, he had kept all of these things from his youth up and Jesus loved him for it because the man had convictions and lived by them. But because of his money and because of his wealth, he turned away sorrowfully and the reason was he had much riches. He didn't want to give up his riches in favor of salvation. His convictions only went so far. And what does the Bible say? Money, money answereth to all things. In all of the political decisions and wars and what have you of this world, they, history projects one thing. But when you get right down to the absolute facts, it was all over economics. Economics was the reason why everything was done. Uh, an example of, of that today is the fact that we are uh, making uh, friends with China. The strategists say we're making friends with China because we want to have an ally against Russia. But then when you get down to the facts, you'll find out years ago, David Rockefeller went over there, talked with the Chinese, set up banks, and got the economics going. Years ago. When people would not be able to go here or go there, or uh, travel here or travel there, John uh, David Rockefeller was in entertaining 23 heads of state. He was over in Russia a long time before anybody else could go to Russia. Or anybody else would even think about going to Russia. David Rockefeller was over there talking money with the Russians. Talking, setting up banks so that they could have money to buy our grain and other things like that. It's money that does the talking in this world. It's who has the money who rules in the world. That's the way it works. Uh, that's, that's a realistic viewpo viewpoint and it is true. Uh, they all try to cover, off, cover it over with something else. But that's really what it amounts to.
And Jesus told this very religious man he had to be born again. And he couldn't understand it. And in verse 9 he said, how can these things be? And Jesus said, you're a master of Israel. How come you don't know it? And Jesus said, we're telling you what we know and what we see. And you receive not our witness. I've told you earthly things and you believe it not. If I tell you heavenly things, are you going to be any better equipped to believe it? Jesus went around and told those people parable after parable to try to make them understand what it was all about. And their dull minds just couldn't comprehend or wouldn't comprehend. Well, let's go on to another verse over in Acts 4 and 11. I believe it's Peter that's speaking. Speaking of Jesus, he said, This is the stone which was sought at net not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven that we may make our peace with Almighty God with. It is, as we sang, Jesus, only Jesus. He is the only one that can save every soul that ever came into the world. There is no salvation in any other. God does not accept any other. Any other religion in the world, perverted Christianity included, does not save one soul. There are, there are no people saved in some of the sects and cults of this world. There are some people saved in where fundamentalist churches where people where enough of the Bible is preached for people to get saved. But there is no other name whereby we must be saved. The Jews rejected Jesus and Jesus rejected them. People who reject Jesus turn away eternal life they turn away happiness here and the fact that they know how to get saved and then turn it away makes their life all the more miserable because the scripture says it'd be better that they had never heard or never tasted than for them to have tasted a little bit of it and then to turn away because if they go into other religion if they go into anything else they will have fallen short because there is no other name. That makes it very simple. It, it eliminates any choices and complexity about salvation. There's only one way. There's only one Christ. And there's only one way to walk. And that's on the way of holiness. See how easily God has made it for everyone to be saved and stay saved? God hasn't complicated this thing. Human beings do. Men's religions are very complicated, but God's isn't. He says there is only one name whereby we must be saved.